Come on, that's it right where you are. Lift up your hands and magnify him. Come on, let's continue what we feel in this house. Let's continue to feel after the presence of God. Hallelujah. Amen. You just want to be in his presence. I got news for you, and it's good news. He's in this place. God is filling this house. He's filling minds. He's filling hearts. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, somebody clap your hands and give him praise. Come on, anybody like what you feel? I mean, that's the power of God. That's the presence of God in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. At this time, we like to dismiss our Sunday school students and their teachers. Amen. Thank, thank God for our Sunday school kids and all the teachers that each and every weekend they go and they take time with our young kids and just spend time telling them about Jesus. Amen. Praise God for that. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be turning open to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 2 and verse 24. Amen. What a wonderful testimony, Darlis. That is wonderful. We're grateful. We are praying for you, and we're thankful to say that God is a healer again. Amen. And uh, if you have any prayer requests, this is just a testimony. You can bring them before the Lord, and God will do something great. Amen. Hallelujah. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 24. The Bible says this, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure, old English way of saying maybe, perhaps, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. I want to read that again. The servant of the Lord must not strive. That part's for me. But gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, now, this is a little hard sometimes. This is a verse we often read during a pastoral installation or a pastoral uh, anniversary. But I believe that God has something in this for all of us here today. In meekness, instructing those that live or are in opposition to what is best for themselves. I know some folks like that. How about you? Sometimes I've been that way. Sometimes I am in opposition to what I know God has for me. But I thank God for a church. I thank God for preaching. Amen. And he said that if you can instruct those that oppose themselves, God may give them a space of repentance, which is the changing of mind, so that they have an opportunity to acknowledge the truth. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. The Amplified Version puts it this way. That they may come to their senses and escape out of the snare and the trap of the devil. Amen. That they may recover themselves. 
And I want to preach to us for a few moments on this subject. Self-recovery. Self-recovery. Would you set down your Bibles? Would you lift up your hands? I believe that God's going to speak to us today. I believe God's got a word and he's going to bless us. And I believe that in the middle of this message here today, before we even get to the altar call, there's some folks that are going to have some self-recovery happen. There's some people that are going to come up out of things that they've been bound by for years. There's people that are going to lay things aside that they have not been able to lay aside all of their life. I believe that while Peter yet spake these words, amen, while the preacher's preaching, that somebody is going to come to their senses and be able to recover themselves. Hallelujah. Would you clap your hands if you believe it? Hallelujah. Jesus, we pray, touch us today. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Amen. Give your neighbor a fist bump. Tell him, I'm going to recover myself. And you may be seated. Self-recovery. Now, as many may have already guessed in the last two years, I am not a preacher that always preaches about the devil. Some have that gift. It's not mine. <laughs> I, I'm not the type that likes to give credit to an enemy that's already been defeated all the way back at Calvary. I don't think that we come to church necessarily to learn about our adversary, but we come primarily to learn about our God. And I think that's right and in order. But uh, there are two sides to every coin. For the one side that uh, that that uh, the devil made me do it, and it's always blame the devil, and there's never any personal responsibility. Uh, I think that's a dangerous place to be in. Amen. Hallelujah. But I also think, and uh, I believe personally, that it is dangerous for somebody to ignore any activity of demonic spiritual movement in their life. And some people, they, they want to ignore the fact that, uh, that the devil is in fact real and that he is working to try and destroy the church of the living God. But I got good news for somebody here today. My Bible says that the gates of hell shall not. They don't. But it's also future tense. They shall not prevail against the church, which lets me know if you're in the church of the living God, if you're in the kingdom of the living God, guess what, honey? You can stand, you can stand flat-footed and say, I've got victory. I've got power in the name of Jesus. Somebody clap your hands and give him praise. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. It is, in fact, truth that, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but sometimes we're wrestling against principalities and powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, and rulers of the darkness of this age. Amen. I, I know that the Bible would say that, that the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I know that Satan came amongst the saints in Job, and he looked around all the earth and says, I've not found anybody. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? And, and it was that activity there that caused Satan to become active in the life of Job. 
I look at the end at the book of Revelations and I see in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 when God is giving John a revelation about the end time church and the seven churches of Asia Minor and almost every single one of them has something, amen, to talk about when it comes to Satan. Amen. There is a moment in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 24 when he writes unto Thyatira, he said that 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 many of them have not known the depths of Satan. In other words, it is dangerous to not know, amen, your adversary. Amen. I've already prefaced, uh, let's not spend all our time on our adversary, but I think it is important to understand that we do have an adversary, and he's not just working now, but he's going to work in an end-time church. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and 11, Paul would write to the church and he would tell them to bring somebody back into the fold lest Satan should get an advantage of us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. Uh, at least I could put it this way. We should not be ignorant of the devil's devices. Amen. We should know what is happening. But that's how the devil works. He works in snares and he works in traps. He's crafty and the Bible would say of him in Genesis. You could go back to the beginning and you could find out Satan's M.O. He is like a serpent. He is more subtle and crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And we see that, that this, this old serpent, the devil... I want you to know here today that he is God's enemy, but I want it to be known that by no means is he God's equal. Amen. Some people want to put God and the devil as if they are on equal standing places, but I want you to know that God wouldn't even have to blink. He already said it is finished, and he took the keys of death and hell. He rose up in power and glory. He's been defeated. He's been cast down. Man, he, is, he is our rival. He is our enemy. But I want you to know he is not God's equal. We do not need to look at him as if he's got power. He does not have power. All he has is the ability to do things when God allows him. He's like a dog on a leash. He only has as much authority as God allows him or you allow him. That's why the Bible says the remedy to Satan is to submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Because when you come in alignment with God, all of a sudden, now it's not you answering the door, but it's your Father in heaven. Hallelujah. And there's something that happens when you don't know what to do. And you say, God, could you show up? And can you do what I cannot do? And God shows up. And that old devil, he sees that it's not you weak in the flesh that's answering, but it's you full of the Holy Ghost that's answering. And he doesn't stay around. He runs. He flees. He gets out as fast as he can. Oh, somebody give God praise here this afternoon. He is God's adversary, amen, but he is not God's equal. And subsequently, he becomes our adversary. And because God is omnipotent, God is omnipresent, he's everywhere at once and not spread thin. God is all things and, and in him does everything consist that we both see and hear. God is greater than anything. Since the devil cannot attack God, what does he do? He goes for the next best thing. He goes after his kids. My pastor always preached it this way. There's two things you never touch, and that's a man's wife or a man's kids. 
And my Bible says that Jesus gave us the power to be the sons and daughters of God. Guess what? We're, we're king's kids. Devil, you better be careful who you're messing with. You're messing with people that got royal blood flowing through their veins. But I also got good news for some married folk here today. The Bible says we're the bride of Christ. And, and I want you to know God takes it real personal when the enemy comes in and starts messing with it. When the devil comes messing against the church, I want you to know God takes it personal. You want to see God act? Go ahead and mess with the church and watch God stand up and start knocking things over. Because the gates of hell shall not prevail against his bride, against his church, and against his children. Praise God. So the devil understands that he can't affect God any other way than to go after the weakest part of God, which would be you and I. Those of us that are made in the image of God. And so he does everything that he can. If we see in Genesis this sly old devil shows up, we begin to see his pattern, his traps, his snares. His first act, act is, is what he can do is he starts with doubt. Everybody say doubt. He starts with doubt. He gets people to start questioning what God said or have doubts in what God meant. Has God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I want you to notice how he twisted, which leads us to his next activity, and that is deceit. He moves from doubt, doubting what God said, doubting what God means, to twisting, amen, what God said, and twisting what God meant, amen. We see that here he finds, amen, some twisting of the truth, amen. He begins to omit truth. He begins to make a negative on the truth, amen. But then he'll come out and he'll make it a bald face, plain lie. Anybody ever encountered Amen. The devil acting like that. He'll take what God has said that is so positive, uh, that is so good, uh, and he will turn it into a negative. Uh, he will turn it into something that is, is, is not, amen, good for us. Amen. He will make it look like God is withholding something from us. Uh, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And God would have you to know that he, what he said is what he meant, uh, and what he meant is what he said. And God is not so hard to understand as the devil would have you understand. Uh, amen. I want you to know that God tells the truth. Truth. Amen. The Bible says of the devil that he is the father of lies. Amen. Everything that comes out of him is a lie. He'll get people starting to think things, amen, that, that God never intended for them to think. They'll get bad theologies about how God is, that God's a God that withholds, even though we see through Scripture that he's a God of abundance. He's a God that blesses. He's a God that favors. He's a God that loves. He's a God that forgives. He's a God that's got mercy. But the devil would have people believe that he's judgmental, that he's looking to destroy, even though my Bible says that Jesus Christ came not into the world to condemn the world but that through him the world might have life Jesus would say I came that they might have life and life more abundantly God's a lot better than the devil's been telling you living for God's a lot better than the devil's been lying to you being in church is a lot better than the devil's been oh somebody give him praise the devil is a liar the <laughs> after he effectively gets people into the trap of doubt and deceit he moves on to a place of delight when she saw that that the tree that God had said was going to kill her she somehow saw that it was good for food and pleasant to the eyes 
If I told you, if I baked you a cake, first off, you probably wouldn't want to eat it. But if I did bake you a cake and you felt like eating it and I told you there was rat poison in there, there's not one person in this building and say, man, that's delightful. That's good for food. That's what deception will do. It'll get people thinking that garbage is food. Because it came on their screen. It'll get people, well, there's not all bad things on there. Yeah, you got to dig through a trash can to get to it. Amen. Well, there's, uh, he'll get people thinking that it's not too bad and it's only a little. No, 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 no. My Bible says a little leaven. Leaven's a whole lump. I'd rather just stick with what Jesus said and know that he's leading me beside still waters. He's leading me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He's going to bless me. He's going to favor me. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. He gets you to doubt what God said. He deceives you on what God said. He gets you to delight in the deception. And, and that's why some people are given over to a strong delusion that they, because they had not a love for the truth. And if you don't love truth and if you don't love what God said, you'll find something else to love. And, and you'll start believing your personal truth. I want you to know there's no such thing as a personal truth. There's only the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. Come on, i got to preach this generation. Told people all sorts of lies that you can just believe your truth just because it's reposted a thousand times doesn't make it true. you got to go back to the Word of God. you got to go back to the preaching and say, what is true, God? What did you say? I'm going to delight myself in your Word. I'm going to desire your Word. From doubt to deception to delight, and then he moves on. And then the Bible says that she started to desire what she, told, what she was told was not good for her. It then breeds desire. She was in a position where she now didn't, it wasn't that she couldn't resist, she didn't want to resist anymore. Amen. And finally, the devil gets what he's been looking for. He gets people to make the wrong decision. Not that he forces people. I want to clarify that. Some people want to say the devil made me do it. No, he did not. But I will admit he uses all of these traps, all of these snares, all of these tactics to make people think that the grass is greener on the other side. And then they walk on the other side. They realize it's a desert and there's no life. And there's... Amen. I want you to know the devil leads you places you never wanted to go. Sin will lead you places you never wanted to go. Amen. But my Bible says that God leads us into good places. The steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. After he gets people... To fall into the trap of making the wrong decision. His traps are not done. He then moves on to defeat. The feeling of failure ultimately sets in. And from feeling defeated. Where it's like oh my goodness I have made a mistake. And now he brings with him condemnation and something called despair. Despair is where he will not only get you to realize what you've done wrong, but now he will get you trapped there where you can never, in his words, ever rise again and ever be better than you are. Amen. We see in the Bible that that old serpent, the devil, is a tempter. Amen. He tempted Jesus. He tempted Eve. He tempted Peter. He's tempting people all across our world. We see 
see that he's a deceiver. He twists truth and convinces people that a lie is a good idea. Amen. He is a robber. Amen. Jesus said he, he's a thief that comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. He comes in to break into lives and he starts stealing people's joy and stealing people's peace. He robs it right out of your house. He robs it out of your mind and replaces it with anxiety and replaces it with fear. He's a murderer. He'll come into somebody's life if they open the door and he'll kill good prayer lives. He'll kill good people. He's a destroyer because he doesn't just want to kill it. He doesn't just want to steal it. He wants to obliterate it where it can never be used. He's the one that comes in. If you open the door, he comes in and he destroys good families. He destroys good marriages. He destroys good Christians. He destroys good churches. That's what your adversary is looking to do. But I've come to preach to somebody. It's a trap. It's a trap. It's a snare of the enemy. And you know how he does it? thing about traps is you don't see it coming. A snare, you don't know that it's tied to something. And, and, and what he'll do is he'll get somebody snagged on something. One offense. Somebody stepped on your toes. Somebody said something you don't like. Somebody didn't shake your hand. Amen. Pre-coronavirus. And uh, maybe post. Who knows? Uh, but somebody does something and, and you immediately get this root of bitterness. Uh, amen. What you got to recognize is it's a trap. Uh, it's a snare. And he knows that I'm going to use this uh, to steal your peace of mind and make you feel like you don't belong in church and make you feel like you don't fit in and make you feel like you're the only one that's ever struggled. Uh, amen. I want you to know he's a liar. But if there's ever been one trick of the devil that I have found uh, to hurt and hinder people more than anything else, uh, amen, the number one name that is used for Satan, uh, amen, is that he is the accuser of the brethren. Uh, and he stands before the throne of God accusing us night and day. Uh, amen, I want you to know what he does. He deceives people. He finally gets them to make the wrong decision. Uh, they feel defeated. And then he comes by with despair and condemnation. Uh, and he accuses, I can't believe you. You did that and he makes you feel like you're an idiot he makes you feel like there's no good in you I want you to know it's a lie it's a trap it's a snare and you're in church today and a preacher came to preach in meekness that God is going to give you an opportunity to walk out free oh somebody worship him somebody worship him God sent you to church today God encouraged you to come so that you can be free Man, it is a snare and a trap. Jesus, or the Bible would say in John, 1 John chapter 3 and 8, he that committeth sin is of the devil. Amen. For the, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. Don't get it twisted. You, Adam and Eve, weren't the first sinners. Nor were you. Nor was I. That old, that old slimy, rotten, yellow-toothed devil, he was the one sinning from the beginning. Uh, iniquity was found in him. Uh, there was, he had perfection. I want to just slap the devil for a moment. Uh, he had perfection. Everything was all right. Uh, amen. He was already in the place where there's streets of gold. Uh, he, he got to be in the direct presence of God and reflect back the glory of God. And that knucklehead said, I'm going to rise and be better than God. I want to tell you, that old devil, don't ever let him feel like you're, don't ever let him accuse you and make you feel less than uh, the devil couldn't live for God when there was no devil. 
The devil couldn't live for God when there was no opposition. The devil couldn't live for God when there was no sin, when there was no sickness, when there was no bankruptcy, when there was no problems. I want you to know you got good company here today. We might have sinned, but we got a Savior. Amen. The devil sent it from the beginning, but I got good news for everybody else. The verse continues on and says, For this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Every trap I just got done preaching about. Jesus said, I'm coming down, that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. I'm going to show up, and I'm going to break through everything that's holding them back. I'm going to come in and destroy every work of the devil. Despair, you got to go. Deception, you got to go. Lighting in the wrong things, you gotta go. Amen. Murder, you gotta go. Destruction of families, you gotta go. Accusation, you gotta go. There is no condemnation in Jesus, you gotta go. Temptation, you gotta go. He makes a way of escape. I wanna help somebody here today. He came to destroy what is destroying you. Oh, somebody magnify him. Come on, let's take a few moments and let's praise God here this afternoon. Jesus did not just come, and I want to help somebody here today. It feels good in the house of the Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus did not just come to break things. Oh, hallelujah. When you break something, it can be repaired. Jesus did not come to break the works of the devil. I know we sing it, break every chain. He didn't come to break no chains. He came to destroy them so they can never be used on... I believe that there's victory beyond where you are, where you will never go back the way you were. I believe there's liberation where you'll say, I can't believe that was me a few years ago. I would never. That's been destroyed by the hand of God. Jesus was manifested so that he could destroy. I wish somebody would shout and give your God great praise. He already won the victory. He already won the victory. He already. He, just, he came to destroy the works of the devil. How did he do it? Ephesians 4 and 8. Wherefore he saith when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Not only did he destroy the works of the devil, every trap, but he went and he actually led captivity captive. I'm going to help somebody here today. He conquered the very thing that conquers us, but he did not just conquer drug, drugs. He conquered drug addiction. He did not just conquer immorality. He took the addiction itself and said, this is what holds people down. This is a snare. This is a trap. And what did he do? Jesus has got his own trap. Jesus has got his own snare. And you would have walked right into it, but Jesus captured it. And Jesus moved it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And what were those gifts? How did he plan to distribute the victory that he already won 2,000 years ago? And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen. I want you to know I'm not just preaching about me here today. Amen. But I'm here to tell you that when you walk into an apostolic church that is flowing with apostolic prayer and apostolic ministry, 
Now you have the ability uh, to whatever captivated you. Uh, it can get moved out of the way. Uh, when you walk into a praying church, uh, you can walk in a drug addict, but walk out saying, uh, I don't ever want to touch that stuff again. Uh, you can walk in addicted to pornography and say, my eyes uh, have been cleaned uh, by the blood of Jesus, uh, and I'm never going back. Uh, you can walk in uh, with all sorts of compulsions uh, and say, never again, uh, never again, uh, by the power of the name of Jesus. Oh, somebody praise him. Somebody praise him. But how does it happen? Preaching is for the purpose of instructing those that oppose themselves. Unfortunately, I've come to help somebody. Jesus already destroyed the works of the devil. Amen. Now when we come into an apostolic church, unfortunately, we fall into this category at times. The enemy of self-recovery is something known as self-opposition. When you're presented with hard truths, you are given an opportunity to recover yourself. When you're presented with the Word of God, when you're presented with apostolic preaching, apostolic worship when you're presented with apostolic prayer meetings you are given an opportunity to recover yourself but you got a choice to make am I going to allow this to help me come to my senses or am I going to stay right where I am and this message here today is not just for today Put it in your pocket. Put it on your podcast. Go back and listen to it because there will be times where we all do it from time to time. I know I've done it. Maybe you haven't. You might be perfect. But I know that I have, I have exemplified self-destructive behaviors. I have exemplified, amen, that I oppose what is actually good for me because somehow I've got it in my brain that something else would be better. But when I came to church and I heard Pastor Mayo preach and I heard an evangelist preach, and I heard the singer sing all of a sudden I got a moment of clarity can anybody testify you got a moment of clarity that you feel it right now when everybody's worshiping there's clarity I want to walk right there's clarity I want to live right there's clarity I want to think right there's clarity I want to make sure I'm doing what God said when apostolic ministry comes by and we are an apostolic church, which means we follow the Bible, not the opinions of men. First century church, what Jesus initiated. When you walk into an apostolic church, God can give a word of wisdom to somebody. And they can speak a word over you, Brother Mark, and give you clarity. But right here in this moment, there's a decision everybody gets to make. Do I stand in opposition to what I know is best for me in this moment of clarity? Or do I go and I walk out of this trap? The, the biggest problem with the traps and the snares of the devil and the snares of life is sometimes we don't recognize that they're a trap because we have yet to move our foot out of it. And the moment that you move your foot out of that snare, it pulls back on you. Amen. I want to tell you that's why some folks resist, have resistance when they try to do something right for God. Amen. Because they're feeling the pull of their friends. They're feeling the pull of their family. They're feeling the pull of the snare. But I want you to know that today, God is going to give you an opportunity to walk out free. God's going to give you an opportunity to recover yourself. It was when Peter preached 
on the day of Pentecost. They said, we feel convicted. What was that? A moment of clarity. He was teaching them the doctrine. He was preaching to them the word of God. He was telling them what they had to do. And they said, oh my goodness, we are convicted and we feel it. What do we got to do? A moment of clarity. They've been living in opposition to Jesus, living in opposition to themselves. And they said, what do we got to do? Then Peter said to them, repent. It always starts with a change of mind. It always starts where God touches your brain and you say, no, I'm not going back that direction. I understand now. Repent and be baptized when you get your, your sins washed away in the name of Jesus in a watery grave. That you coming up out of that water should receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Guess what happens when you're born again, not a corruptible seed. Corruptible seed is that which is in opposition to what God says. Corruptible seed resists what God is doing in their life. But when you get born again, it's not a corruptible, but incorruptible by the word of of God. He begins to preach. Amen. Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, the washing away of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promises unto you and to your children and all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words that he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourself. When apostolic ministry comes by uh, and you get an opportunity to feel that clarity, uh, you then have an opportunity at self-recovery. Uh, you can save yourselves from this untoward, uh, backwards generation. Uh, there's nothing like coming to the house of God. Maybe you showed up with the wrong mindset, uh, but you hit that prayer room uh, and God gave you a moment of clarity uh, and you begin to change your mind. David decided to stay home from a battle. It's a trap. Letting everybody else fight for him, it was a trap. It was comfortable, but comfort's a trap. I thank God that we're in a position right now where we're not comfortable. Comfort kills, folks. Comfort kills. David thought, I'll let everybody else go to battle, but I will not. David stayed home, and now he had all the time in the world, and he did what would be Old Testament pornography. He got up from bed, went up on top of the roof, and saw Bathsheba, and he made a decision right then and there. What happened? He fell into the snare and the trap of the devil, and he fallen, and now he's committed adultery, and now he's committed murder, and it's just snowballed. He fell into a trap. And for one year of being trapped and locked up, David did not know what to do. He said, my bones are roaring on the inside. I feel condemned. I feel beat up. I feel despair. It can't get any better. And it's only going to get worse. But after one year, can I tell you what happened, church? God sent by a preacher by the name of Nathaniel. All of a sudden, David got an opportunity to come to the house of the Lord. All of a sudden, David had an opportunity to go to church. All of a sudden, David had an opportunity to fall in line with apostolic ministry. And when he preached the word, David got clarity for the first time in one year. He hit his knees and he began to repent and guess what was happening self-recovery he was getting up from where he was and David wasn't thrown out and washed up he was a king in which Jesus said I will establish the throne of David forever let's stand across the building lift up our hands somebody's going to recover themselves 
There's already apostolic ministry flowing through this house. You know what? There's already the Spirit of God moving in this house. And right here, you have an opportunity. Right here, you have an opportunity. The doors of the cage are already open. But now you can recover yourself out of the snare of the devil. You can come to your senses and say, never again. We see Samson had a covenant with God. But somehow Samson started making some bad decisions because of the people he was hanging out with. Wasn't supposed to drink wine, but he was going to parties. It's hard to live for God when you're going to all the wrong places with all the wrong people. Now, don't cut people off. If you're the influence, influence them to live for God. But if they have no intention of living for God, tell them you're praying for them, you love them, but I'm not showing up to the party. And somebody said amen. It's a little easier to not drink if you don't show up to the bar. It's easier to not fall in that trap if you don't go to the trap. And there... Samson, Samson falls, in, falls in love with a, a, a not-so-reputable person by the name of Delilah. He starts desiring the wrong things. And guess what she does? She lulls him to sleep. Samson, it's a trap. But I didn't come to preach to people about what all the traps are particularly because there's going to be more traps than i got time to preach about. But I came to help somebody that even when you fall in the trap, there's liberation. Even when you make the mistake, there's deliverance. Even when you fail, there's forgiveness. Even when you mess up, I want you to know God can help you. Samson gets all seven locks of his hair of consecration cut off. They pluck out his eyes, and now he's grinding in a mill. Elder Bobo, that was a trap. And he doesn't know what he's doing. But somebody takes him by the hand, and he says, lead me to the pillars. Lead me to the stability of the house. Lead me to the stability of the church. Lead me to the stability and let me lean on it for just a moment. And in that moment, uh, amen, for he holding on to that pillar. Uh, amen, he may not have eyesight, but he got vision. Uh, and all of a sudden, Samson began to pray. Uh, and he got clarity for the first time. Uh, he recognized what he did. He said, Lord, uh, forgive me what was happening, self-recovery. Uh, God, if you give me strength one more time. Uh, and Samson, all of his mistakes and failures uh, still ended up in the, in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, the heroes of faith, Samson, the one that failed, died as a hero. Well, preacher, I've been making a lot of mistakes. Prodigal son leaving one farm and up at a pig farm. But when he came to himself, he said, I'm going back. There's an opportunity for somebody here today. The devil's been putting all sorts of traps in your life. But I want you to know Jesus came to destroy those traps. And the preacher came by to open up the door. Would you lift up your hands? I'm done teaching. I'm done preaching. Come on right now. Somebody pray. The Holy Ghost is in this house right now. I feel him right. I feel him real strong right now. Somebody. Amen. Maybe it's the fact that you need to recover your mind. Come on, there's David at Ziklag. He's lost everything. But what does he do? He grabs an ephod. That was the priest's garment. He got a hold of apostolic ministry. He got a hold of the preacher's garments. And what happened? He went to church and God told him, you can recover all. 
somebody here today that in the process of self-recovery, God's going to give you the power not only to recover yourself, not only to recover your mind, not only to recover your soul, not only to recover your heart, but God's going to give you the ability to recover your family, to recover your marriage, to recover your finances, to recover your kids. God's going to give you the clarity, but all you got to do is make the decision. I'm walking out. Would you come to this altar? I want to invite you to this place. What we're going to do right now is we're going to come to this altar. Amen. What is it? It's a step of faith that says, God, if you're giving me a moment of clarity, God's already speaking to some folks. Maybe it's not directly what I'm talking about, but God's been speaking to people all week long about some things. And now what God's doing is he's giving you clarity. Now you can acknowledge the truth and you can recover yourself out of the snare. Come on, that's it. Somebody let's come and pray. I feel them in this house right now. Somebody go ahead and just come to this place. Come to this altar. What are you doing? I'm recovering myself. Come on, what are you doing? I'm recovering my family right now. What are you doing? I'm recovering my prayer life right now. What are you doing? I'm recovering my worship life right now. What are you doing? I'm recovering my walk with God right now. What are you doing? I'm going to the altar, and I'm going to recover myself. Come on, don't oppose yourself. Don't oppose yourself. God's got more for you. Don't oppose yourself. God's got a plan for your life. Recover yourself. Don't oppose yourself. Recover your mind. Recover your emotions. Recover. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When darkness falls, it won't. The God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. Come on, that's just somebody go ahead and worship. I'm going to see a victory. You're going to see it. I'm going to see a victory. It's in this place right now. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle